this morning, I want to, um, to share with you some things the Lord has really been directing me to kind of look at um, on an individual level. And as I've continued to study this, I felt like I needed to kind of just share the same subject matter with all of us. Now, I've studied many, many days on this, and there's, there's several Greek, or excuse me, Hebrew words we're going to look at. Uh, we're not going to look at a lot in the New Testament. There's only really one passage we will probably get to later on, but we're primarily going to focus our attention on the Old Testament. And the subject matter that I'm going to share with you this morning is going to be on the subject of delight. And I think that's a very important um, principle for all of us to really do some self-examination, evaluating with, uh, the things that we are involved in on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and I'm not just talking about, we all know it's, it's, it's important to pray. We all know it's important to intercede. You know, it's one thing to think about it, but it's, it, it, it's more than just that. It's actually um, actively engaging in those, those, um, uh, those things. And so as I've studied this, there are a lot of things that God Himself takes delight in. And there's also a lot of things that people themselves in, uh, get involved in, um, that can lead to being entangled, that he says, that's, those are the things that I dislike or I take no delight in. So we're going to look at both sides of that coin, the positive, the negative. And um, there's some interesting passages in here that, where, where this word, these words are used. I'm going to look at two primary Hebrew words, and they're there on your page. Um, the only difference is is one syllable, and it's the A and the E. And the way you pronounce this is kafetz and kifetz. I may be mispronouncing that, but they both mean um, the same thing. The root word is the first one. The other one is a derivative. Now, there's some other uh, Hebrew words that also have the word delight or being pleased with something. So it's the same kind of concept. And... So I want to define the terms. I've got some other definitions that I want to kind of throw in here just to get us to kind of really thinking about what this means. So as you see there, the root word here means to, to be inclined towards something. Um, it can mean to, in some, some passages, we're not going to look at these, but in some cases it can mean to bend or to be pleased with. Um, and then the derivative there means pleasure, desire, a valuable thing, or a matter that, that is going on in the mind. Now, let's keep this in, in our forefront where we're, we're really wanting to focus in on what does God, what does He take delight in? And we're wanting to make sure that internally that we ourselves are delighting ourselves in those things as well. And I have to be honest, the flesh in all of us goes on the opposite end of the spectrum on this. Our flesh does not want us to do the things that God delights in. And Paul had that struggle. You know, we're going to look at that passage later on. Um, he, he wanted to do the right things, but there was a, there was something else internally going on on the inside of him. And 
I'm going to go ahead and insert this in. We'll do a little bit more discussion later. But um, about a week and a half ago, yeah, it was about a week and a half, roughly, um, I had a dream. And in the dream, I remember, and I represent this. It's not just about me. It's about all of us. So evangelistically, I was, I was releasing a, a, a message to a people, and it was about the emphasis on the inward man, the inward man. And in this dream, I remember conversing and, and, and speaking out to people. Um, God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. The inward man should be our focus. We should, we should internalize everything about what we're doing and, and let His Spirit evaluate Am I actually delighting in those things that are after the inward man? Because that's, that's what God looks at in all of us. He sees it all externally, but He's really honed in on the inward man and that development um, along the pathway of His eternal purpose and plan. That's what He's focused on. He's not focused on politics. I mean, He's, he, he's, he's ruling everything. He's reigning. It may not appear that He's reigning, but He is. He's in total control. And so, as we go through this, think about the things that you take. And there's nothing wrong with this. I'm just making an analogy here. We delight in a lot of things in this life. Okay? And, and there's nothing wrong as long as those things don't take uh, the preeminence. So, you know, I really delight in hunting. You know, I've, I've I love that. I love the pursuit. I love all the preparation. You know, I know David loves, uh, delights in working on cars. He helped get one of the, your automobiles fixed to where it's running again. Um, you know, I know Trish loves to delight herself in, in, in fiesta wear and in collection and, and, and trying to hopefully flip that and make a, make a little cash. But w we all delight in certain things and there's nothing wrong with that. But I have to be honest. The longer we are in, we've been in this walk, the temptation to kind of coast along and just kind of slowly allow things to creep back in can, can really bite us to the point where the Lord will go, hey, you know, you're, you're really focusing a little bit more too much on this and taking great more, more delight in this thing than in what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do in my people. And so that's kind of the way this developed is, and I remember prophetically declaring this over Zach um, on a Sunday morning, one of the verses about delighting yourself in the plan, in Yahweh. And about it, and then the next thing that follows, He's going to give you the desires of your heart. And everybody's like, oh yeah, I can just name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, and it's mine, right? No, no, that's... The first part is delighting in what? The eternal plan. And then that seek, the, the next part follows. It's not about just, oh, well, I want that Rolls Royce. I can claim it. Oh, that jet. That's mine. It's my desire. But it's not his desire most of the time. And so that kind of led me into this. Now, when you think of the word like inclined or having an inclination towards something, really what that is, is it is a it's a disposition or a or and it does the word bend means that like you're bent towards something. So that bending is part of the Hebrew definition. It just means our our, our mind or our will has a 
a particular liking or preference towards something or an interest. And so we're inclined to do whatever we want to every single day, every second of the day. You know, I'm inclined to, not because I want to most of the time, that I have to get up and you know, report to work, you know, report to duty, and uh, those are things we all have to do. But what does God really take delight in? And I have, and, and as we go through it, I mean, I, I really, he's, he's really touched some areas in me that it's like, this is not something that is, it's okay for you to do this, but I don't let it overtake you to where you have more enjoyment and you have more satisfaction with this rather than being with me. And we, we all face this, whether we want to admit it or not, from the leaders all the way down to all of us. Now, the second word that I want to really highlight is, is the word pleasure or pleasing, you know, this a synonym. And that, that word just means it means enjoyment, uh, how we derive satisfaction from whatever it is that we like. And I remember a pastor many years ago writing, uh, he said, you know, the Lord came to him and said, do you do you do you do you like me? And I think he wrote a chapter in a book about liking God, loving God, you know, kind of the. So think about the your own walk in the Lord as we go through this. Really, honestly, God's he's not a. He's he bringing points of correction to us because. He loves us. It's it's motivated by his agape and nothing and it's perfect because he's wanting to he's wanting to draw us in even closer to him. And and so keep that in mind as we go through this, too. Now, the other thing is, is the word uh, valuable stuck out in this definition or, or, or value. So if you look at that word, we, we should all we attach valuations and value to things every single day, we, every every day, you know. And that just means you 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 put you attach a worth to something or um, a useful usefulness or something of an, or uh, its importance, and you put a value to it. And you know, just when we were at the beach, we're talking about valuations of homes and you know how ridiculous that that is. People, there are people that really, even in the church, you know, we might have been prone many years ago to attach a value to homes and cars and. Everything, I mean, you can attach value to anything. And God recognizes what all of us really, truly enjoy and value in this, in this life and in this walk. And this is not a condemning word. It's more of an encouraging word to go, hey, the Lord wants us to, to, to know Him in a much deeper way. But in order to do that, there must be change in all of us. And, and, and that's kind of... The message is, let God change us. You know, let God refine us again. Okay, it's like, oh my God, do we have to go through that again? Every single stage is going to be refinement continually, because I mean, he, he's perfect. We're imperfect. We're like the Apostle Paul. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I should do, I don't do. And he's going back and forth, and he's talking about there's another law in my members. And I was like, oh my God. And, and he starts talking about the, the pneumaticos and, and the flesh, and it's just a constant warring, and that's, that's the terminology he... And it is. It's, it's an internal war that goes on. I want to do this, Lord, but there's something in me that's pulling me, trying to pull me away 
And every time we get pulled away, it seems to get harder for us to get back on the pathway to go, okay, I, I know, I know these prayer times are important. You know what I'm saying? I know, but, and, and the, our flesh will, it, it's, it's just like the apostle Paul said. So think about what you're inclined to. Think about what, where you gain your, your true satisfaction and enjoyment and fulfillment and, and the things that you value. And honestly say, Lord, is there anything inside me that has taken the preeminence as I look at what you delight in? And we're going to find out there's a lot of things the Scripture says. So to begin with, we're going to look at a well-known passage with, that involves murmuring and what I've identified as conditional provision. In Numbers 14... Beginning in verse, and I have to scroll here and get this open. And it says in verse 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said, I mean, this is not one single person or a couple or just a small group. The entire congregation of those that were there said, would to God that we died in the land of Egypt. Or, would to God that we died in the wilderness. So they're, they're willing to go back to the point that God delivered them uh, uh, from the bondage. They're ready to go back and put themselves in bondage rather than staying in the eternal process and plan that's going on right now. It's, it sounds crazy, but before we label it crazy, maybe we go, have I... There's times where I wish, well, God, we may not say it like this, but we'll 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 modernize it and say, well, you know, oh, the Lord's not doing moving like He did in the beginning. Or same principle here. It's a, it's a point of, of murmuring and and complaining. And verse three says, and wherefore has Yahweh brought us into this land? So now now you've got the mention of. Uh, the link to God or El here, and then Yahweh, the plan coming into play, into this land to make us fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another. Now, now it transitions, and now not only are they coming against what the, the leaders have led them into, you know, in conjunction with God's Spirit, but they're now in internalizing it and speaking to one another and saying, hey, let us make a captain. Let's get somebody else in charge here and let's go back to Egypt. Go back to slavery. Go back to bondage. Makes no sense. That can also be a representation and picture well, of the, um, the, the church in, in a lot of ways when you think about it. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, come on, he could, he could have been the son of anything, but he's the son of Nun. And Caleb, um, which were the ones that searched the land, they rent their clothes. Wow. <laughs> hey guys, what do you think? Kind of humorous in a way. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to inject humor there, but it is. It's kind of like, okay, they're coming against us, you know, let's just rip our clothes off here and 
I know it represents something. But And they spake unto all the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding tobe land. If the Lord or Yahweh delight in us, and I forgot the, the word delight there is, is, is one of the words. If He delight in us, then He's going to bring us into this land and He's going to give it to us. And it's going to be a land that flows with milk and honey. Now, I want to stop there and just kind of reference this. It's conditional because they're, they're saying if we, if we are functioning in the plan, what He's destined for us at this precise moment, then He's going to take great delight and pleasure and He's going to bring us into something that's far different than anything we've, we've known that is going to include and it's going to flow with milk and honey. Boy, those are two ingredients that we all love, right? I do. I love honey. Even if it's organic. Or the other version as well. But you see the point here. He's going to bring abundance. And it's connected to Him delighting in us. Now, it may not always be that way, but I'm highlighting this because while we were at the beach house, the Lord, had, I'd been studying this the day before and looking at it and really, you know, doing some detailed uh, research. I woke up that next morning and I'm, I'm there at the table and um, I get my phone out and I'm looking through my email and I get uh, an email from work on my, and it says, congratulations, Deloitte has decided to give you a bonus. I'm thinking, what? Is this real? And it was a significant bonus. I'm like, so I started thinking about this verse as 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 a as an application of, of the Lord delighting in something that you're doing and therefore bringing provision like this. So that's the link that I want us to see, but it's it's always directed in in his delight upon us. So I'm just making that link to go, was it Milk and honey, no, milk and honey represents provision, abundance, and an overflow. And that can happen in all of our lives in a lot of different ways, and it has. So I just I speak that over all of us, that totally unexpected provisions are coming to all of us because He takes delight in us. And we are in His plan, no matter what it looks like. What did it look like here? <laughs> They're, they're in the wilderness. They're murmuring. They're complaining. The, everybody's accusing Moses and, and Aaron. You brought us out here to die. You want to kill our kids. How, tw how messed up is that? Do you honestly think Moses wanted to kill the kids? Did he even say that? Where are they getting this inf information from, number one? Well, it's either from their flesh or from the enemy. And we know, based off of other verses like in the New Testament, by murmuring and by complaining, we mobilize the destroyer, right? We do, by virtue of what we say. We're, we're all tempted to do that. So I, I always have to remind myself, try not, and I say try because I don't do it 100% of the time. It's easy to complain. It's easy to murmur. But rather than doing that, we need to go, hey, no matter what we are in, good, evil, whatever it is, it's part of the process and the plan of Yahweh. Or, I mean, I mean, why do we have this here? I mean, it, it shows us what can happen when we are in unpleasant situations or places, i.e. the wilderness, 
I Egypt, we can we can go back and say, you know, well, I want to go back to the days where, oh, I just was overwhelmed and on the floor for five hours. Egypt. We're saying take us back to Egypt, right? In a way. God knows I'm not trying to be uh, disrespectful of what He did in the past. but And then in verse 9, it says, only rebel not against Yahweh. Neither fear you the people of the land. Here we have two elements. You've got the, the propensity internally to want to rebel against the plan and then to allow fear to overtake you because of the people. Remember, Joshua and Caleb went out and searched the land. And if you go back and read the previous, the end of the chat, uh, previous chapter, you find that the people are they're like, they're scared scared to death thinking oh wait, these they're giants you know and Caleb and Joshua have another perspective and they're like well yeah but if the Lord delights in us and if he's pleased with us he's going to he's going to bring abundant provision but it's based on it's a condition but if we partner with rebellion or we partner with fear then what's that going to do that's going to do nothing but destroy us verse 10 look what they did how they respond but all the congregation bed stone with stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared on the tabernacle before all the children of Israel. Now you you would you would think, oh my goodness, this is such a horrible situation here. How can the glory of Yahweh show up? He can show up anytime he wants to, in any circumstance, in any condition. He does not have to ask us to do anything. He can do it on His own. And um, it's very interesting. So the next time you think you have it bad, think of Moses and think of Aaron. (laughs) The people started attacking them and then they started conferring amongst themselves and it's just a very, very chaotic situation. But in the midst of it, Yahweh took great delight in His people and He provided in unexpected ways. Yes? Uh, Something occurs to me about the glory of the Lord appearing based on something I recently reacquainted myself with regarding how the Lord um, revealed His glory to Pharaoh and mm-hmm. his heart was hardened. Mm-hmm. So even when the glory appears, there's still a question about how we're going to respond. Yeah. And so when you come through this Israel murmured business, and that's kind of where they were, and the glory of there, of course, is always present to bring us forward. But will we respond correctly, you know, or will our heart be hardened by that visitation? Because that is what's going on when the glory appears. There's a decision. And um, I think, you know, what you're talking about, where our hearts are with respect to the Father, you know, if we're not taking our delight in Him and the things that He's doing, we could be so easily on the other side of that camp because we're not delighting in the plan and we're taking delight in the worldly things and saying, I'd rather be in Egypt. I'd rather be in bondage than to be where I am. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just, you know, often we just look at the glory as being amazing because yes, we're in, in right relationship with the father and therefore we are moving forward in that grace. But if you're talking about coming out of a murmuring situation, you know, we may not be in the right place. When the glory appears to us, anyway, just saying. No, those those are great observations. Yep. Yeah. Right. I was just uh, seeing how um, 
it it was that um, you know that choice that Moses and Aaron made and and, and Caleb to stand before the people and actually intercede before the Father on behalf of the people, that they wouldn't do that, even though it meant their death. I mean, the people already had the rocks in their hands. They were coming for them, and yet they were pleading on behalf of the people before Yahweh um, to um, have His mercy and um, for them not to rebel. And it was at that point that that God intervened and it was so much how we are operating in that we continue in spite of threats in spite of uh, ill opinion against us knowing that God is always aware of us and what's going on mm-hmm. and when it's necessary for him to intervene with that miraculous work he will but it takes our commitment to that point of loyalty to him and passion for what he's passionate for for that that miraculous intervention to uh to be to be on our behalf rather than against us you know as as stacy was saying mm-hmm. to be on the right side of the glory so that what happens augments and supports us rather than is stopping us and causing us to uh uh, reevaluate who we are in in our position. Mm-hmm. Well said. And that I I, I want to go back to verse nine because I missed something here. I, I should have read it, but I, I just noticed it. So we we need to hearken to what Joshua and Caleb declared to everyone in this context. It says in verse nine. First, I already focused on rebel not. Um, no fear. But then it says, they, they, they said, for, for they are bred for us and their defense is departed from them. Number two. And number three, Yahweh is with us. So if we keep those three things in mind, yeah, there were giants in the land. I mean, yeah, they were much bigger and it appeared to uh, the people that were like grasshoppers. Okay, perspective is everything. We have the plan of Yahweh with us. There's no fear in that. He is our defense. He is our defense. And as long as we're in the midst of where we need to be, and remember, no matter, that looks different for all of us on an individual scale. But if we keep that continually in our, in our thoughts, and we say that and we internalize it in the inward man, that'll help us stay aligned and not be misaligned. So what else do we need? Okay, They've already declared this is a tobe land. This is, this is where God's led us. This is what we're going to be. Uh, the, it's going to become bread to us. We are going to take the things that are there that might be the enemy is intended for evil, and God's going to give it to us, and we're going to begin to eat and partake of it. And then he's going to come to our defense. Their defense is absolutely turned off because... Yahweh's plan is with us. I think that's great in the midst of this. So let's keep those those things in the forefront of our mind. Now, let's quickly move to... (laughs) This is an incredible scene here. I I have to tell you, this is remarkable. All of these are just... And trust me, I have condensed it down to a lot, but I know that's kind of hard to believe, but... 
Yeah. Um, now, this involves Manoah and his wife seeing Elohim in Judges 13. We're going to start in verse 15, and it says, And Manoah said unto the angel of Yahweh, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we have made, a, made ready a kid for thee. Not a child, but... Um, verse 16, And the angel of Yahweh said to Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if you'll offer an, a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto Yahweh. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of Yahweh. Now, it's interesting, you know, the, the, there are some of these angelic representatives that represent the, the, the plan, and that's this angelic being here. Uh, you've got some that are angels of, you know, of Elohim, you know, representing and focusing on the things within the heart of God. These are focused on the plan. And, and Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name that when thy sayings come to pass we may do thee honor? And the angel of Yahweh said unto him, Why are you asking me after my name, seeing it is secret? Okay, that, that's another teaching in and of itself there. But one point that I'll focus on there is, you know, these, these angels, yeah, people talking about oh, this, this angel came in and had this name. Uh, they keep these kind of things secret. You know, we know Michael, we know certain ones, but just basic principles. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering, offered it up on a rock unto Yahweh. And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on, for it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, the angel of Yahweh ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on and it fell on, and then fell on their faces to the ground. That's kind of a powerful encounter. We've all been there. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of Yahweh. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen a Ra'ad Elohim. But his wife said unto him, Here's this conditional thing. If Yahweh were pleased with us, and that's one of the words that means to be inclined or had, had, is to bend or to be pleased with. If he, he wanted to do, kill us, he would, not have, we, he would not have received a burnt offering nor a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have ra'ad to us all these things, nor would he have uh, at this time have told us such things like this. So here they are. This is a powerful encounter. We know it's about uh, Samson. That's a whole other miracle in and of itself. This whole scenario is miraculous. But here he inserts this, this phrase, or the wife does, which is interesting, because the man is going, oh, he's going to kill us. And then here comes the, here comes the wife, kind of bring a little clarity to the situation. All right. And says, you know what? If he, was, if he was not pleased with us, none of this would ever, ever happen. And so it makes a lot of sense. So I just wanted to kind of highlight that, that that word is used there. Now, let's move on to uh, Samuel. There's been a lot of teaching lately on Samuel. And this whole chapter, I have to tell you, is it is, it is incredible. But we're only going to focus on just a part of it. And this is identified as great delight in obeying the voice of Yahweh. 
In 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, it says this. And think about the whole context. Go back and read it because every, every bit of it is very, very important. But for the sake of time, we're just going to look at these two verses. And Samuel said, Hath Yahweh as great delight or pleasure or value something in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying or shamming the voice of Yahweh? Question. To Shema is better, Tob, than sacrifice. And so this whole point has, has led to, and I believe if we will do this one thing, this one thing here, and not only hearing what God's saying to us, but then following through in obedience, this will, He takes great delight in this, great pleasure. He values us obeying what He tells us to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And he even says, even in the Old Testament here, I'm not taking, the delight I'm taking is not in the burnt offerings, nor is it in the sacrifices. It's in you obeying what I tell you to do. And we know that Saul, Saul did not follow through completely, even though he declared over and over again, oh, I did do what the Lord said to do. And then Samuel started going, well, um, God told you to get rid of everything, right? I hear sheep bleeding in the background. Indicative and evidence and proof that he didn't, even though he said he did. So, and then he says, to, uh, and to hearken than the fat of rams. So you've got, you've got, you've got the, the obedience, and then you've got the hearkening, meaning, meaning you know, if you look at that term, it means to really, really, really pay attention to what's being communicated to you. There's, there are many people that, oh, they can hear great. Some not so great. <laughs> but hearing alone is not, is not what this word really means. Now, before I get really too judgmental with, with Saul, consider the context. Consider what he was faced with. Consider what you are faced with in similar situations. It may not be identical, but it can be very similar. And all, the only reason I say that is it's easy to say it when you're not in it. I mean, it really is. And I've learned over the years, I may not say, oh, I'll never do that. We don't say it like that. We, 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 we kind of modernize it, but we end up doing some of the things we say we, 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 we wouldn't do, right? So keep that in, in, in the forefront. God delights greatly in, in obedience. Now let's take a look at the, an instance with David. The deliverance of David in the day of calamity. Oh, wow. Second Samuel 22, beginning in verses, verse 14. The Lord Yahweh thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered His voice. He sent arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfited them. And the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of Yahweh at the blast of the breath of His nostrils. 
I see a picture and it's just very, very humorous, but the blast of his nostrils. I see this big nose and nostrils just flared out. <laughs> he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me. And that word prevented there, I've, is, I put it there for you as a definition. In the day of my calamity, calamity here in the Hebrew means, can mean a bending down, can mean oppression, misfortune, or in the day of uh, where I feel like I'm being ruined, in that environment and in that atmosphere, the plan of God was my stay. Stay there means my support, my protector, my, my sustenance. And then He brought me forth into a large place. Uh, it just means an open, expansive area. Something new. Some, something that He's bringing you into that's, that's a discovery type situation. And then He delivered me. Why? Because He delighted in me. How can the Lord delight in us in a calamitous situation or a day like this? I'm glad it's a day, right? Because sometimes it seems like it's weeks, months that you're going through something that is not necessarily very pleasant, but God's there. He's going to... Enemies are there to prevent us. Enemies are behind the doors and they don't want us to access things, but... But Yahweh is our stay. He's there to support us. He's there to do whatever um, is necessary along that pathway, even if it means... Um, look at these words David is getting in the day of the calamity. He can only write this and pen this because he's walked through this. And he's telling us, it's okay, he's going to bring deliverance because he t he's inclined to us. He's pleased with what we're doing because he's actually started this whole process that we're in. It's just fascinating. It's like you know, people want to focus on the wrong things when this stuff's going on. Oh, well, why would God lead somebody into that? Um, part of His plan, right? You want to be a bastard or you want to be a son? Hello. I mean, it's that simple. He chastens sons, right? I don't want to be an illegitimate son in the kingdom. I believe those are active in the church. God wants you to be a son, but you're actually functioning in an illegitimate manner because you don't even believe in sonship. Oh, we're all sons, right? Really? Hmm. The children of Israel. That's why he's using that terminology in the Old Testament, I think, to let us know they should have been more mature individuals, but instead, over and over, he's saying the children of Israel. The children of Israel, because they were acting like a bunch of little kids, right? They were. That's why, that's why he uses it. You know, uh, Moses, everybody focuses on his, his prophetic ministry and how he had a prophetic gifting. Yes, he did. He was very pastoral too, though. Huh? Moses, the pastor? Well, it says he had a congregation, right? We just read it a minute ago. He's, he's doing all kinds of things. He's functioning as a prophet. He's functioning as a, as a shepherd and trying to do his very best in leading people that want to remain in a childlike relationship. I don't, it's, it's not God's desire that people function that way. It's not. He wants people 
to grow in grace. He wants them to develop. But it's up to, once you have the knowledge, you know, it's up to you. We get to choose which way we're going to go in this. I love this. So, the next time you're in a day of calamity, remember this this passage because it's it's very very helpful. You know, there's times where you feel like you're the enemy's too strong for you. Same thing with David. The enemy was too strong for him. Do you feel like you're there's they're preventing you from accomplishing something? You're in the company of the Davidic tabernacle of David because that's what this David's involved here. But know that God's intent is not to leave you there, but to bring you into a large place, which is, if you look at it, it means an open space where there's not a lot of stuff there. And it's, and it's for a reason because He wants you to go into a place in Him for discovery and go into the unknown, and He's going to make that known along the pathway. Because the steps of a righteous man and woman, they're ordered by the Lord. Mm -hmm. There's no way to get to the enlarged place without the calamity. That is the path to the large place. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can circumvent it. You can try to do something else. You can try to get out of it. Do you want the large place or not? You have to go... Through the calamity, you have to submit yourself within the calamity. You have to accept the calamity for what it is and receive the instruction for what it's there to give. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to the large place. Yep. That's it. On a, on a very, on, on a very uh, illustrated, practical look at it, um, if you want a larger room, you're going to have to mess it up to tear down that wall that's dividing. And you're going to put up with a lot of mess. And it's going to look <laughs> really bad before it gets looking good. But... When you're done, you'll have this big place. So, you know, it's the same thing in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes, those are both great points. Yep. Excellent. Like the example there, Stacy, thanks for sharing. Um, you know, some of the things we say is like, we don't welcome calamity, you know? We don't welcome suffering for Jesus or whatever. It's just part of the process. It's spiritual growing pains where, and even this, even God, He knows that. He says, I know this is, this is, this is, this is painful, but it's only for a moment. Stay with me. I'm with you. Don't start going, um, AWOL and, and, and leave the, leave the plan because it's not quite what you thought it was going to be. And this, this is another reminder. He, he's, this word delight is in this. In the whole mix. Now, this next one um, is also about David and how that God said He takes no delight in numbering the people. Now, I have to be totally honest. I am still <laughs> studying this passage along with another one in Second Chronicles. Because as we look at this, it seems to be some contradictions from... This writing and the one in Chronicles, because of some different numbers and different things that are going on, and there's no no discrepancy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I'm trying to process this because this example specifically says in verse one, and again, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel, and he moved David to go and say and go number Israel and Judah. 
So the he is a reference directly back to Yahweh. So Yahweh is initiating this for David to do. Now, if you go and you read 2 Chronicles, you know, if you do a search on Satan, the first reference that comes up is Satan stood and he moved David to number the people. I'd never seen this here. So I don't have the answers at this point. One says Satan moved. This one says Yahweh moved him. Now, we all know that everything, everything is filtered by God, His plan. It doesn't... I was just saying that um, Yahweh was probably behind it. He probably used the enemy to have David number the people because his, you know, he was, his anger was kindled against them for their actions. So it could have just not been fully explained in both passages, yeah. but it probably was both initiated by. It, it's, it's both of them. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just kind of hard to, you know, when you, when you think about the, the anger, the, the perfect anger of the Lord, I, my humanness, I mean, I understand it to a slight degree, but I don't know. We don't understand anger and hatred, pure hatred from a from his perspective. I have some challenges with that in my human human mind. I'm just saying it's because all I can equate anger with is you know if you get angry at me, boy, you really take it out on me, and it's not good most of the time. Whenever God does it, or He because anger and jealousy are different. I mean, when you look at them in the Hebrew, they're different. Um, he, he's angry or he, he moves in wrath because people continually go the other direction and they're not following his plan. Whereas jealousy's like, okay, I see that, then I'm going to do everything I can to try to bring people in back into alignment. But they're, they're really hard concepts. I, I get the jealousy more than I do the anger. So I don't know why that is, but at any rate, here he is. He's numbering the people. One thing, this is me thinking this, okay? So if I, if I could, I'm not saying I'm rewriting it, but if I could rewrite this and put it in the way I think it should occur, I would have said, and again, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel, and he just started taking, taking it to Israel, right? Why did he have to involve David? Well, I guess David was, in, he was the king, he was in the authority structure, and God follows that, so that's, that's why. But then it says in verse 2, For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, go now through all the tribes from Dan even to Beersheba and number ye the people that I may know the number of the people. Now, listen to what Joab said to the king. Now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be and hundredfold and that the eyes of the, my Lord the king may see. But he says, David, why are you delighting, same word, in this thing? <laughs> It's just really odd that he's the, he's telling him, basically he's saying, are you sure you want to do this? Why are you even pursuing it? Basically is what, he, what he's telling him. Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the host went out from the presence of the king and they began numbering the people. And I want to, yes, good. We look at this and we think oh, it was kind of maybe beyond David's choice or whatever, but there had to be something in his heart that was partnering with that, that wanted to partner with that. And that's part of the refining process, too, I think, that God was trying to do in David. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot at stake there that you could definitely consider, and that's one of them. Uh, th that word uh, anger, uh, 
you know, Strong says it's, you know, the nose of the nostril, hence the face, and occasionally a person also, for rapid breathing and passion, um, you know, which, which speaks, you know, God's passion is always about his, his purpose. And, and so it goes along with that concept of jealousy. You know, he wants his stuff to work and he wants, he wanted his people to work. And so, uh, when they didn't, they ran up against his purpose, which wasn't going to change. And so it, it's almost like, that's the fence, and when you run up against the fence and it's electrically charged, you're going to get zapped. True, very true. Yeah, it's not so much that God with the club, you know, and and beating people. You know, it's just that okay, here's the boundaries. You, if you go beyond the boundaries, you're going to find pain. <laughs> There's not going to be my hand on you. There's not going to be protection. There's not going to be. Uh, that provision there's you're going to be out of bounds you're going to be called foul you're going to be benched you're you know whatever that that's that's their choice to go further than he had planned and, and so they ran into that you know it's kind of the other, other way too uh when you are in righteous purpose you're going to run into the enemy it's not that so much he's going to be marauding you or ambushing you but it's you're going to be going into his territory and you're going to meet him and you're going to find him and he's going to resist. And uh, God said, if you go in, like the children of Israel, if you go into that land, the people are going to be yours. They're going to be your bread. And so when we go into that place where the enemy holds, it's going to become our food. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's going to be a blessing to us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a constant chasing him out, confrontation, overcoming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great, great, great stuff. Um we have two minutes remaining. Um, Two-minute drill here, right? Um, yeah, this 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 whole thing's fascinating, and, and two, you know, it, it should be. We just need to let the Lord add to the church, okay? Instead of the church adding to the church. So anytime there's this emphasis on numbers, and that's that's why these mega. God's not in numbers. He he. And I, I hearken back to this dream. And remember the dream in the beginning, it was like he's focused on the inward man. He's not focused on building a bigger building so you can house 500,000 people in it. He, he's really not focused on that. How many of the 500,000 people uh, would he go and, and say, okay, let's go down to the brook and divide them up and say, these that do this, I don't want them. Okay, and, 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 and scale it back. He, he, he's all about doing that. And that, that's my whole point of bringing this in to show how easy a king, yep, I know, one minute, and that's going, how a king could be influenced to number the people. We do, and it can happen to any of us. So, one point. That, that Brooke thing that you just talked about is like God looking for saints. He's looking for people who, will, who are ready to move. And if you're not ready to move, it'll let you stay where you are. Mm -hmm, exactly. And so I'm going to end with just this. So the numbering of the people was a huge task. It took over nine months for them to go and do this task. Yes, it says in verse uh, 9, wait a minute, verse 8, so when they had done, gone through the land, came to the end, nine months, 20 days. 
And we think our task is mundane. <laughs> mundane. I mean, this. The other passage in Second Chronicles said Joab was, I forget the exact word, but he was displeased at, at David's uh, even commissioning him for this task. But he went ahead and did it because the king's word prevailed. And then David recognizes that he had sinned and he calls out to the Lord. And, and then there's three choices that he gives him. I'm thinking, man, David didn't... I'm, last thing I'll say. I'm thinking, Lord, take it out on the Israelites. Leave David out of it. He didn't do it. That's just me. So that's my whole dilemma. But again, God's ways, He's showing me they ain't like mine because my way would have been Take it out on the Israelites. They're the ones you're angry with, right? You're kindled, you've kindled your anger to them, but you're taking it out on poor David. Leave the man alone. He's got enough on his plate, right? Again, so anyway, I'm done. Any other final concluding remarks? We'll try to pick up here in the message. <laughs> I, I think it was you that said it, that something must have been in David's heart. It was you. It was Vicky. So it wasn't just the children of Israel. I think David realized that too. Because think about it. It was like with Moses. I mean, Moses didn't enter into the things that the children of Israel were doing. You know, he was always with the Lord, you know, interceding. But David must have somehow fallen into the same situation. Therefore, God moved his heart to, or at least challenged him, and gave him the opportunity to come out. Because if Joab came up and said, yeah, let's don't do this thing. Yeah, he did say he you're delighting in this. Yeah. Joab did say that, so that would speak of the internal. So I would think God gave yeah. him a, sh a shot to not do it. But his heart, his own heart prevailed. And David saw that too. That's why he said, nah, put it on me because I was in the same boat with all these these sinners over here. Yeah, so it does, it does make some sense in that God is identifying something that we are delighting in that He takes no delight in. That's that's the point. Mighty, yeah, He's in the thick middle of it, but in that He He did come to a recognition. But there's always consequences. But even in the consequence, He said, "I'm going to give you three options here. None of them were great, but I fall into the hands of the Lord." He said, and He said, "Okay, so here comes the plague." And then even after that, He well. I'm done. Lord, bless us. Thank you for this time and all the comments. We seal this and bless our time together as we worship. In Jesus' name.